Thanks so much for tuning in to FPC Conversations. Today's episode is a conversation between Dan Kimball and Denise Fink. Denise, a longtime member of FPC, lost her husband Rich to cancer during the summer of 2022. We want you as a listener to understand that the intention of this conversation is not to exploit Denise or to try and draw out an oversimplified testimony of the faithfulness of God. This conversation is raw, and Denise and her family are very much still processing their grief as they navigate life without Rich. We hope that in the stories that are shared, you get to learn a little bit about the type of man that Rich was, and that you can learn a little bit about how you can love the Finks well right now, as they're still missing the man that they called husband, dad, and grandpa. Welcome to our FPC Conversation Podcast. My name is Dan Kimball, and I have the pleasure of hosting today's podcast, and it's my honor and privilege to welcome to our podcast today, Denise Fink. Hi, Denise. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Good, good. Well, Denise, we're super excited that you've agreed to come on and and uh, share a little bit. And as you're aware, we're, we're, we're talking with a variety of people from the FPC family, from the First Press family. Uh, people that um, just share their faith and their heart and just kind of what God's doing in their life. So maybe just to start things off, why don't you just um, tell us a little bit about your own just personal faith journey and your connection to First Press. Well, my connection to First Press started in 1957 when I was born um, because my parents and family uh, were were members here at the time. And so I— Started off in the nursery and um, grew up here, went to um, Sunday school all through all through the grades, junior high, high school. And so um, church was always um, a foundation in my life. And I think I grew up always knowing God and who God is and having a sense of his presence. And I do—there there was a— moment in time that I recall when I kind of made a personal commitment, you know, my own personal commitment that Jesus Christ would be my Savior, my Lord and Savior. But it wasn't a, you know, there was there was no big event that led up to that. So some people have these aha moments uh-huh. or these uh, road, to, road to Damascus moments, but for you— right. Not so much. Not so much. I, I do remember it, and I remember going home and telling—I think I was in about seventh or eighth grade, and I remember going home and telling my parents that I had made this decision. And um, my dad, interestingly, who was kind of a quiet person and didn't really ever talk about his faith, although he certainly had one, but he kind of sat me down and said, do you do you really understand what, what this is and what it means? And— you know, it was it was one of those pivotal relationship moments with him that I remember, and he gave me a copy of "Good News for Modern Man" <laughs> that he inscribed mm. for me. So and that was the you know the Bible that we we kids were all using at that time. So it was a special a special memorable moment in my faith journey, I guess I would say. So you've really seen a lot of uh, a lot of changes and a lot of history here at First Press. Oh you. yes, uh huh. Uh-huh. Someone was talking about the bathrooms downstairs needing to be 
you know, updated and that mm -hmm. they'd been that way ever since they were in high school. And I said, well, they've been that way ever since I was, <laughs> you know, in like first grade. Yeah. So, yeah. right. So fun, yeah. fun to have mm -hmm. so much history. So with mm -hmm. that, why don't you tell us, a little, um, tell us a little bit more about your family and what's happening there? Um, well, Rich and I met um, the day after my 19th birthday, which was uh, November of 1970. Seven, and um, we started dating right away, um, knew right away that this was a serious relationship and kind of decided that we were committed to one another, which sounds kind of pragmatic, but, you know, we, we just said, how do, you, how do you ever know? You know, how do you know these things? And we both just said, well, I think you just decide to be sure. committed. And so we became engaged pretty soon after that and were married within a year and ended up in Reno for a couple of years because we both needed to finish school. And so that's kind of where we started our marriage and our family. Had our first two kids, Katie and Daniel, there. Then a variety of things brought us back to Fresno in 1990. Uh, my folks were here, were back here at the time, and we just felt like it was time to time to come home, which Fresno was not home for Rich, but it was home for for me, and it felt like home for us, and so came back to First Press. We had two more children, um, James and Molly, so we have a family of four and actually eight because they're all married with spouses and then five grandchildren. Wow, okay. With one more on the way. Can you name all the grandchildren? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to do yes, that? Yes, I want you. Okay. I want to hear the, who they are. Troy and Tyler Fink, who belong to Daniel and Annika. And Danny, Hannah, and Aubrey Brown, who belong to Katie and DJ. And the number six child is yet unnamed. Exciting. <laughs> exciting. So we have one on the way. That's so exciting. Right. So with that, you and Rich were been part of this church, been in leadership, mm -hmm. membership, mm -hmm. all of that mm -hmm. for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then at some point, Rich has cancer. Right. want to... Right. Um, yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit. So in 1997, he was diagnosed with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that was, I was thinking about it this morning, how I would describe that time. It was shocking. I would say sort of stunning is the word that we were kind of stunned by it. I think we were living in a little bit of a bubble of mm -hmm. life is good. You know, which life is good, and life was still good, but things were just going very smoothly for us. And How old were the kids at that point? So Katie was in eighth grade. Daniel was in fifth grade. James was four and in no grade. And Molly <laughs> was uh, Molly was one. She, okay. had, she had just turned one. And actually, now I'm thinking of it, I guess that was probably in— 96, doesn't matter. Mm. My initial response to those types of things is to kind of go into problem-solving mode. So I did all kinds of really important things like um, had the garage door fixed and got the carpets shampooed and, you know, those sorts of things. <laughs> mm. Because when you don't know what's happening, mm. you you try to sort of control what you can. Sure. I, I was remembering that this morning thinking about it. But we went you know, immediately into treatment. Once diagnosis was made, there was a little bit of a, you know, there's always that time. And treatment went well for a few months. Um, things were going as planned. And then kind of 
changed. They decided that it wasn't, the treatment was not progressing the way they wanted. So recommended that he have a bone marrow transplant. Mm. And fortunately, he was able to use his own stem cells for that. Uh, Rich and I had to be in Stanford off and on for a couple of months. So family members came and helped out with the kids. My mom was here at the time. Church, you know, church folks came. Ron Dahl and, and his crew came and did yard work. And, you know, lots of things were taken care of. Meals were provided for the family mm. and the kids while we were gone. He went through that treatment very well, recovered um, really miraculously well in terms of not having residual illness mm. following, because many people do. So initially it was hopeful, the diagnosis mm-hmm. was hopeful, but then mm-hmm. there was some ups and downs right. along with that, like mm-hmm. any type of treatment plan? Yes. And how would you guys say, like for you guys at that point in time, where would you say your faith was? Where was God for you in that during that time? I, I would never say that I felt that God was not present. I'm always, it's just sort of a an awareness that I have of God's presence with me. I would say at that particular time, I probably felt a little distant only because I was in such a kind of a go mode to manage what was happening at home, kids and school and that sort of thing, and then being there with Rich as well. I was distinctly aware of the church family interceding mm. in mm. prayer for us and certainly felt the peace piece of that. So you felt their their prayer commitment to you. Mm-hmm. You felt like translated mm-hmm. to you. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I kind of wasn't speaking to God at that time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. Yeah, yeah. And how about your kids? I mean, what was some of their reaction or what questions did they mm. ask? Hmm. That first time, I, I'm not really sure because I was gone for a lot of it. I think that they talked to my mom and my sister and other folks. I think they felt very reassured. I think they felt confident. We remained positive. They were, they were so much younger. They didn't, uh, there only one time did they come visit in Stanford. So they didn't really have a lot of visual of what was going on, which which was good. And they were all involved in, well, the little ones, not so much, but Mm. at that time, Katie and Daniel were very involved in the church youth group. And so we're supported in that way. So Rich gets better. Mm -hmm. Yep. And? Went back to work. You know, really life almost picked up as if nothing had happened. Mm. And I did decide to go back to work at that time. Mm. I, I was kind of leaning toward that anyway, but I decided that, you know, with facing those types of illnesses that it was probably time for me to get into a situation where I could provide if necessary. So knowing he was better at that time, uh-huh. you still, right. the, the, would you say it's fair to say the fear of of a return of that mm-hmm. cancer was, was there or was that not on I the radar? S- it was not. I mean, it always is to an extent. You know, they use the word, the medical community uses the word remission, which I actually don't use because I said, if you think of yourself as in remission, then we're all in remission Mm. of the next thing that could happen to us. Mm. And so we just called it a straight out cure. He's cured. He's healed Mm. and lived life that way. I think my decision to go back to work was, as I say, I was ready anyway, but then the added incentive of, gosh, 
here's a reality of what could happen, and you have four children, you know, so, and that I, and that I wanted to work, so. So you kind of yeah. went in, in right. mode. Uh-huh. The mode, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so life went on, and then, and then in the fall of 2021. Well, no, there was um, one more in between. Okay, okay. Um, so eight years later, in 2004, Rich began to show some sort of odd symptoms, and to make a long story short, was discovered that his bone marrow was failing, mm. which when that happens, it can allow for bad cells to grow. And so then they become concerned about leukemia. So our doctor sent us to Stanford to find out what the options were. And the first trip to Stanford, they said there are no options because of the class of folks who went through the treatment you did in 97 and have had experienced what you have. We've tried a second bone marrow transplant and none of them have survived. So they said, there's really no option for you. Mm. So go home and wait and see what happens. So we did. And a few months later, sure enough, a blood test showed that these leukemia cells were beginning to grow. And so back to Stanford, and they said, great news. In the time between when you were here before and now, we've done some more, you know, some more things have happened that make it possible we're willing to try it. So we went in with, you know, a 0% chance historically. And this time it was, it required a bone marrow donor because these leukemia cells were growing in his bone marrow. This is a process that can take, as you know, a long time. His siblings were not a match. And lo and behold, so they put it out to the registry. And within an extraordinarily short period of time, I can't quite recall, it feels like it was weeks maybe less, they had a donor that was the most perfect match ever. They, they, they were stunned at the, how perfect this match was. We, of course, were not. Because <laughs> yeah. I said, when yeah. God does the healing, you know, it's perfect. Yeah. And so he went through, a, it's, and it's a very difficult process, but, you know, a bone marrow transplant with a donor is much different than his experience before. So we were back in Stanford. We were there for four solid months. Mm. I, I only came back twice. It's a very physically exhausting process. He correct? was actually in an isolation okay. room for mm. six weeks. Oh, you mentioned that waiting and very time. very sick. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So during that waiting time, you had mentioned that. Can you maybe think back about what that was like, that time you guys, that in between, mm-hmm. what that was like? and um, Kind of. Um, it wasn't that long. It was a couple of months. And, you know, we were like, everybody was working, going to school. Because by then, the kids were eight years older than they had been the first time. And I think we just kind of felt like there was a little bit of a cloud hanging over. You know, you're kind of living in the what if. But it, was, it wasn't very long, as I recall. I think it was like from about March or April to June. So we find the match. Find the match. We have the tr- the. Have the transplant. The transplant, and then? And then when he was allowed to come home, which was October of, I don't know, I've kind of lost track. Mm, I want to say 05. It took him a little while to recover, but much shorter than anybody else. And again, zero residual side effects. No extra medications, no, you know, no anything. And generally speaking, 
you know, there's the graft versus host disease and all of those things that can happen to people who have any kind of transplant. And for him, it was nothing Mm. other than his hair didn't really grow back. (laughs) So once he physically recovered from, you know, regained his strength and and stamina and, and enough immunity that the doctors were ready for him to go back, which was very quickly, you know, I would say within a matter of weeks, Mm. he started going back to work part-time. And again, life just— What year was that? That was 04, 04, 05, yeah. So that's number two. Mm -hmm. That was number two. Okay. Okay. And then pretty much completely off of our radar at this point because the doctor said, you know, at this point, you are no more likely to— this this cancer that you had is gone. There are no cells because they do, you know, testing mm. and such. And you are you are no more likely to contract any sort of cancer now than anybody else. There's no, you know, you don't need to worry about that. Now, of course, the bone marrow could there there could be things related to the treatment, but in terms of cancer returning, that was that was good. Okay. And yeah, then we praise the Lord for that. Yeah. And then and then, 18 years later, mm. out of the blue comes the leukemia, which I think the doctors in Stanford have a clue. Uh, we never got the final results of the genetic testing that they had done as to exactly where this came from, if it was just a spontaneous leukemia or if it may have actually been um, from the cells that he received from his donor. Mm. Um, doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 Right. We, we were not really all that interested in that. Yeah. So treatment, you know, attempted. He got very sick very quickly mm. and um, really could have died before we even got to Stanford mm. is what they told us because um, he was pretty sick and attempted treatment, came back here to continue treatment, and he really just never got better. Mm. And then decided, you know, the doctors basically said, there's nothing else. Mm. You know, and so we said, okay, mm. thank you. And we lost Rich? June 8th. Mm. Mm-hmm. In the fall, during that time, Rich, I, re- I was with a group of guys mm. at a little gathering called the Pub Mix. Yes. And and we talked about miracles one time. What is a miracle? And Rich shared his story mm. with the group of guys, and it was <clears throat> quite powerful. And he he would say that his healing was a miracle Absolutely. twice, even though he, mm-hmm. you know, got sick again. But that oh. was a <clears throat> it was quite a testimony to yeah. to a group of guys around a table and a yeah. beer. That yeah. was um, <clears throat> it was quite a testimony. He loved to tell that story. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what role would you say? The First Press family played for you during all of all these of times, this. right? Yeah. Well, the most important, as I say, would be the interceding prayer because mm. uh, it's really hard to pray sometimes mm. for yourself mm-hmm. in those situations. Physical support of our family um, when Rich and I were gone and neither of us were able to work, you know, there's disability and this and that, but, you know, just lots of physical support. Cards, letters, phone calls, mm. you know, all of those things. But just knowing that they were here, knowing that they were caring for and loving our family and our kids um, was amazing. Mm. When would you say God has shown up or not shown up for you? Oh, God always shows up. Mm. 
there were many occurrences. I remember more during the 2004 time just because I was there the whole time and focused and not going back and forth to Fresno and such. But there were so many small and large little merciful gifts that God would sort of drop along the way. People, you know, strangers coming to talk to me. I went to church in Menlo Park Mm. where um, Pastor Evans Sr. was the pastor. I didn't Mm. know him. And I met a couple there. Well, I didn't actually meet them. I put a prayer request in the thing that Sunday morning. I never went back. Right, right, right. I never went back. I only made it there one time. And then after Rich and I came back here shortly after, there was a couple I met that were here. They had just moved from Menlo Park. And I said, oh, I went to, you know, kind of told the story. And they said, is your husband's name Rich? And I said, yes. And they said, we've been praying for him. Wow, wow. So just, you know, those kinds of things. Um, A kid showed up. We had a flat tire, and, you know, Rich was way too sick to get out and change a flat tire. I have no idea how to change a flat tire. And a kid rolled up on a bicycle and said, could I help you? Mm. You know, and was just so kind. And there were just so many little ways that God provided for us. Besides, of course, the huge ways of the donor and the med- the awesome medical care that we received. What words of encouragement could you give someone who's maybe dealing with loss or going through a hard time just spiritually or I I don't know how to encourage someone going through loss cuz I'm not quite sure yet myself. Going through a hard time, I would say every story is your own and it's unique. And if someone says to you, oh, I know just what you're going through because I've been there, thank them and run, don't walk. Mm. <laughs> because people mean well, but nobody's, nobody's story is yours. Mm. And sometimes we get wrapped up in the what we should be doing and what we should be feeling. Not to discourage people from being in community together, but just don't feel like you have to follow anybody else's path. I like that. It's very honest. So, Denise, when thinking about Rich and and your family and and the the faith you guys have had mm-hmm. throughout your marriage and your kids and Rich's cancer, what you know when you think about that story, what what comes to your mind? Well, and that's exactly that's exactly it. Is that the story is about us, but really the story is about God and who God is. And how God, well, how we sort of showed up in the story. And I guess what I mean by that for us is just how he worked in our lives and not in a way of, you know, I think sometimes when we talk about how God works in our lives, people can can get the impression that it's like we're pawns on a chessboard. And I don't see it that way. So I'm careful about that, those concepts. But, you know, early in our marriage, I would say that God really began preparing Rich and me, but especially Rich, for our lives together and for eventually his illness. God really drew Rich close to him. And I think the Holy Spirit really prompted that. And Rich responded, um, I think maybe not even knowing it, he responded by 
wanting to know God more in a deeper, more personal way and took it upon himself to read the Bible. He read the Bible through, you know, twice um, over a period of time. I'll put in a plug for Jeremy's read through the Bible year, in a year. Yeah, in a Bible, yeah, right. something that... <laughs> That's a, yeah. that's a great thing to do. Well, and having grown up in the Catholic faith with very faithful, loving parents, but Rich felt that in that tradition that he never really read the Bible. And so he didn't feel that he really knew who God was. And so that was something, again, I feel like kind of a prompting of the Holy Spirit for Rich. And because of that, it really became a priority of our lives as a couple and in our family to raise our children to know God through Jesus. And we prioritized our lives around that and our, you know, kind of our family schedule. And he lived intentionally so that others would know Christ through him. And, you know, not in a churchy way, I guess I would say, but just, um, I think, was always careful in his work and his business practices mm -hmm. and that sort of thing so that he would reflect well. Is it a fair statement to say that, that the cancer or the illness brought Rich closer to God? Or oh. was there ever mm -hmm. a, I mean, surely there was some anger and some frustration or? No, that was me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say that Rich, that definitely that that experience did bring Rich closer. And I think those difficult times often do can be illness or any sort of struggle in life because it it kind of brings brings it all to the to the front of your mind again. And I think that's a you know, Rich's response to the diagnosis was his trust, you know, just his trust and how he trusted God with the outcome. He struggled, he trusted God with the outcome, but he struggled with knowing that, in his words, no was an acceptable answer. Mm. And that sort of became a, one of his favorite phrases when he no talked about it. No from the outcome it. of the right, treatments. Right, God yeah. saying no, yeah. you know, in terms yeah. of him asking for healing, yeah. praying for healing. And he said, you know, I always have to prepare myself for the fact that mm. no is an acceptable answer. And he did. You know, it wasn't easy. You know, I don't mean to be glib about it, but sure. but he did. He he had that. You know, and I think Rich's character, the way God shaped Rich's character, was such an important part of the story also. You know, he was just such a committed, compassionate person and a tender, supportive dad and— mm very present in the lives of our children and really a true partner to me, mm. allowed me to thrive and grow in ways that I might not have mm. otherwise. And so while Rich's response to the first diagnosis was to trust God and all, my response was that I begged God to spare Rich's life because I knew that I would be a lousy single parent. Mm. And I mean begged yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then pretty much didn't speak to God again for about a year, mm. not because I was angry, but because I was so busy mm. trying to fix everything myself. And you had raising kids. Well, I was, and was life. truly busy. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But yeah, it was just that was kind of my singular prayer is, you know, I can't, 
I, I'm not prepared. And I know that if it had happened that I, you know, I know that God would have provided. But um, at the time, that was how I felt. What was Rich's response to the first diagnosis or your response? Um, again, just trusting trusting um, God with the outcome and being um, being pretty much at peace with it. You know, there's there was natural fear and that sort of thing. But, um, um, and he also was very willing to submit to whatever treatment the medical staff recommended. You know, he was not, he did not feel that it was his responsibility to be researching and doing all that. He trusted and followed guidance. But, mm. and I think that was particularly true because of his faith in both times because it was yeah yeah you know i mean there were scary times there were there were moments of real fear because you know what could you know you know what could happen yeah. but yeah he was um he went through it pretty well yeah and my mm -hmm. sense is that rich's response to god has always been faithfulness and mm -hmm. and acceptance mm -hmm. yeah yeah and um and gratitude hmm. i um Unfortunately, I'm at that age where I've been to a lot of funerals, <laughs> <laughs> services and memorials and celebrations right. of life and you name it. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. Mm -hmm. uh, riches was special. Mm. It was something I, mm. it was a witness to me as somebody that was mm. like, man, to have your kids, your your kids' spouses all mm -hmm. up front. And the, it wasn't just about stories, but it was mm -hmm. just, it just felt like I can honestly say I felt. God's presence at that service, unlike mm -hmm. anything I can remember in a long yeah, time. And I'm I, glad. Thank I, you for saying that. That legacy for me, yeah. you know, was real powerful. It was important for me to represent, to have Christ represented in that service, but also Rich's, who Rich was as mm. a person. And um, many people have said that they experienced both of those things. And mm. so thank you for saying that, yeah. that. Things you've learned from Rich? Um, well, things I learned from Rich after, uh, you know, as I, as I look back, after the first and second transplant with the really amazing, miraculous outcome, especially after the second transplant, he lived life with what I would call confident concern. Mm. He was always confident in his healing. There was no question in his mind of his complete healing, but concern in knowing what could come. And I, maybe that concern just comes from someone who's experienced a devastating illness. You know, probably everyone who goes through it feels that way. Sure. But he did not live like a cancer survivor, mm. and he didn't— he didn't identify himself as such. You know, that was not on his— The, uh, the, he did not the, the wear tattoo the mantle. or the, no. the, you know, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. In yeah. fact, he—and, you know, and it's okay if people do. He didn't He didn't sure. criticize that. That just wasn't him. He didn't ever want to participate in the survivor events or those kinds of things. Yeah. Stanford has reunions every year, that sort of thing. We never went to one. Mm. Every year the invitation would come, and I would say— do you want to go this year? Nope. And he, you know, really lived life to the fullest after 
you know, after the, I mean, always did, but after those two, lived graciously with the reality that the next diagnosis could be around the corner. Again, is true for all of us. Mm-hmm. Always trusted God with the outcome, fully at peace in all things, and his gratitude and his contentment. And that was something that he, he really strived for was contentment, which is something that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. So that is really something in reflecting that I, that I feel like I learned mm. from him. Sometimes people that go through an illness like you guys have gone through, I've I've been told and I've seen this a little bit that there's there's this um, survivor's guilt mm-hmm. kind of somebody else didn't quite have mm-hmm. a good outcome. Did mm-hmm. that ever? Oh, absolutely. Cross? Can, yes. can you can you speak into that at all? Or yes, there were there were a few people um, who passed in the years shortly after he in between. And then after, mm-hmm. you know, in between yeah. the two and then after, young people in our congregation, mm-hmm. you know, young moms, young dads, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it, he, he often wondered, mm-hmm. you know, about that. He didn't question, but I think it was something, I wouldn't say it was survival guilt, but I think it was an opportunity for him to reflect and say, okay, if there is a why me, you know, I'm not sure it is because then it's that chessboard thing. Yeah. But if there yeah. is a why me, then why me? Then yeah. what, you know, what what do I have to give? Yeah. You know, where should I be investing? You know, he didn't really talk about it a lot, but mm. I saw that. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, that's helpful to, to share. Um, I've heard you mention throughout our conversation about this and your family and, and all this. I've heard you talk about God's provision Mm. and God's promises. Do you want to speak into that a little bit? You know, God's provision, you know, that God is, again, always present. I think as as believers and those of us who belong to Christ or who are Christ followers, you know, one of the things I think that we have to remember is that Christ is always, always in us. The Holy Spirit is, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so even though sometimes we might not be aware, not be focusing on, not be seeing the hand of God, particularly, He doesn't leave just because Mm. we don't always see everything. Mm. And in terms of God's provision, I think that's an important thing to, for me, to reflect on is that the ways that people responded to us, which I believe were prompted by the Holy Spirit, mm. and in this congregation and in in just friends and family all over the country, really, who responded, um, both times Rich was sick. Um, you know, my sister, who was living out of the country at the time, moved in with us for several weeks and took care of the kids when they were, you know, all kinds of crazy ages. Yeah. Um, Friends came from out of town to stay. Uh, Meals, we've talked about that. Yard work, rides here and there for the kids. All of those ways that God provided for us through the body of Christ. And again, I I feel that, you know, he, he prompts us in those ways. Incredible medical care, doctors, nurses. But I think one of the main ways that I see is 
you know, in in terms of Rich's healing, one thing I would say is that four amazing humans that are our our kids, mm. and that if Rich hadn't been there, they'd still be amazing humans, but not the same. Mm. You know, none of us would be the same, and they would. I think Rich's character is just so evident in each of them. And that, to me, is a real um, part of God's provision and part of how I would say God's gift to me in sparing him, you know, in response to my to my very selfish begging sure. in 1996. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we had, in the 18 years, we had graduations, weddings, funerals, family dinners, grandkids, 18 Christmases. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. And, and when Rich has shared with others. Yeah. I mean, he often talked about, he felt like he got an extension. Absolutely. Which a lot of people don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a very, it was to me a, such a neat way to, to, to look at things. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, we all don't, <laughs> we all don't. Well, we're all know, living right? in that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And going through these types of things makes you very, very cognizant of it, mm. you know, but then I think God, you know, I really see God's provision, you know, in so many ways. These are just a few examples, but in the incredible support that I have now in, mm. from this congregation and from my friends and family, and just the fact that I have strength, mm. you know, to go on. Yeah. So. And I, I appreciate a lot of your words because, in a sense, you know, we we mistake maybe God's provisions and God's promises with grieving. And mm-hmm. grieving is, mm-hmm. you know, we grieve. We're supposed to grieve. Mm-hmm. And grieving is biblical. And, right. And you're grieving, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll grieve for a long time. Mm-hmm. And. Others are in this, and right. but yet we're finding this, still finding these mm-hmm. moments of where God's still, right? Right. And the outcome, you know, the outcome was never guaranteed, and it is never guaranteed. But what is guaranteed is God's presence. Mm. You know, people have said, there's so many pat phrases that we say, Yeah. you know, and again, all mercy for people <laughs> who say things, because we all do. Yeah. But, you know, people will say, well, Rich, is, Rich had such a strong faith, and, and so he was able to get through it. Mm. Or, you know, your faith has really helped you through this. And I, you know, it, I cringe a little bit yeah. because, you know, our faith is so wavering. Mm. You know, it can be really strong one minute and completely absent. It's yeah. like, what faith? Yeah. You know, what God? But God isn't. Mm-hmm. God is always present. Mm. And so I would— you know, I would never correct anybody out loud, but I would want to say, no, it was it was God mm-hmm. who provided that strength and God who was allowed Rich mm-hmm. to be able to go through what he went yeah. through. But I think it's good. Um, hopefully people that are listening to the podcast will maybe think, oh, I can learn something here or maybe Absolutely. I'm going to think about this a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think in terms of God's promises— for me, there's so many, but again, God's presence, His mercy, and His compassion are the things that I've experienced the most. Mm. And again, not not our faith that gets us through, but Him and His presence, and how He shows up even when we are not looking or 
you know, even aware. And I think um, it's important to think about the fact that God, or what I what I always want to communicate is that it's God that fights the battle, mm. all of our battles, cancer, sickness, worry, you know, whatever we're struggling with, it's if we allow it, God fights the mm-hmm. battle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and this was what Rich, another a thing that I think I really observed and appreciated with him is that I learned that you submit to the battle and you are a diligent participant in the battle, but you submit to God fighting the battle mm. and the outcome. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't, again, doesn't mean that you don't do your part. And then the outcome is not always what we want. Again, that's not the promise, but that um, God's presence and His mercy and compassion are. Those are good words. Is there anything else about Rich's legacy that you think would be mm. helpful or just would like to share in this yeah. format? I think— you know, just again, I, I think that's a good way of putting it, his legacy and just who he, who God made him to be as a person and my gratitude for what God did there mm. and his ministry to others, which was quiet and unassuming mm. and, you know, without without words maybe sometimes, you know, that but when people thought about him or talked about him and have shared about him, they've talked about how they knew. They knew that he was a believer. They knew that he was a Christ follower. They knew that about him, even though he didn't talk about it. Mm. And, you know, that's an incredible legacy mm. that, you know, I hope somebody would say about me. Yeah. I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's a good. Yeah. Um, and again, just um, my gratitude for who who he was as a person and yeah. Yeah. in our lives. And and one of the themes of the podcast is it's it's not just looking at what God's doing mm-hmm. in our lives, but it's also just a little bit about the 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 FPC family, the mm-hmm. First Coast family, and mm-hmm. the ways in which we're trying to hopefully lifting each other up through these times. So I know you talked a little bit about that throughout mm-hmm. our time together, but is there anything else about just that? I mean, you talked about meals and things like that, but um, I I just think it's so important, yeah. you know, that as a you know, the, a community of faith, that that's, mm-hmm. that's where it gets real for me is, mm-hmm. is how we respond. Right. And there, you know, again, so many ways I could make a really long list of all of the ways that people have responded over the years and, and now, and encouragement and notes and cards and that sort of thing. But what I know is that people are praying. Mm-hmm. And um, that, I think, is one of the things that we do best for one another. Mm. And, you know, like you and I have said, sometimes we trip over words. (laughs) But, you know, learning to give grace to one another and to not get hung up on that. But, yeah, you know, just being in worship every week, and that is such a source of strength for me and comfort. I see you uh, serving, and I see (laughs) you, you know, I think that's— I guess a testimony for me and others is that you know you you've gone through this very hard mm. season in your life and yet you're out on the mm. the front serving coffee and welcoming people and and I know you're doing a lot of other things and mm. I just I just think that's that's a that's a great testimony that you're giving back still 
you know, that brings me joy. That yeah. just, and that's, I think that's, you know, you have asked me what, you know, what might I say to others going through a difficult time? And I guess that might be one thing I would say is do the things that bring you joy. Mm. And so that is, you know, that is something that brings me joy. And just being in our church, being around our church family mm. brings me joy. Yeah. As we kind of wrap up a little bit, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give you three words and I want you to tell me what comes to your mind when you hear each word. So the first word is joy. Mm. 18 years. And hope. I'm never without hope. Um, God's presence brings us hope. Mm. And then the final word is shalom. Mm. Same. Peace. You know, God's mercy is always there. And we saw it in so many ways. And peace was one of the greatest mercies mm. that he gave us and gives us. Mm. Thank you, Denise. Thank you for sharing your heart uh, with the First Press family. And um, I know that you are a, a walking and living testimony. I know that the church is going to be praying for you and walking with you and just appreciate the light that you shine for our church. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this conversation. No matter who you are, we will all experience the grief of losing a loved one. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Denise for sharing in such a vulnerable way. May the Lord continue to grant you comfort as you draw near to Him. And may we, the church, grow in our ability to love and care for you and your family, in addition to many others who are in a similar season of loss right now. Once again, our goal with this podcast is to share real and honest stories of things taking place in people's lives at First Press Fresno. May this podcast deepen your faith, deepen our love for one another, and ultimately help us become more like Jesus. Until next time.